You know, as a young man, uh, that song, It Is Well, uh, I really didn't care for it very much. I didn't like it uh, because of a particular individual that would sing it because I didn't like the style. I didn't like the way they sung it. Uh, I didn't like it because it was an old song. And as a young man, I was kind of ignorant because I didn't pay attention to the words. Don't make that mistake. When you guys have opportunity, not with just that song, but with anything that you do worshipfully, don't let the style be what dictates uh, your determination about its worth. Um, I think about how that song ministers to me now, both because I know from where it was written, and I actually pay attention to the words, and I wonder how often in life I missed an opportunity to be served by those words just because of my ignorance. So now y'all have gotten the sermon before the sermon. So i trying to fulfill Weathers' shoes while he's out uh, giving you a short sermon before the sermon. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Second uh, Samuel 9 if you want to. Well, uh, you'll get ahead if you get there. We're going to look uh, another place first. But before I got started... Um, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of history. The Second Samuel 9 really involves two main characters. Uh, it's David and Mephibosheth. Y'all be careful how you say that. It's too many constants, not enough vowels in there. Uh, David's pretty well known. Uh, you guys know a good bit about him. Uh, Mephibosheth is a grandson to Saul, who was the king before David. Saul had a son, Jonathan, and Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son um, but uh, and that's really where our, our passage is going to be today but you really need to know a little bit about what was going on between David and Jonathan and Saul to really get an idea of the weight of the passage that we're going to talk about today uh, back uh, and you don't have to turn there but back in first Samuel 8 Israel comes to Samuel the prophet and they ask for a king uh, they don't have a king uh, and they look around them at other nations, and the other nations have a king, and they say, hey, we want what they've got. We need a king. Uh, and basically, they're not satisfied with the leadership that God has chosen for them. Uh, but rather, they want a leader of their own choosing. God's way wasn't good. Their way was better. So God, through Samuel, warns Israel about what a king will give them, and they want a king anyway. So God kind of grants their wishes. And allows the people to have their king and leads Samuel to pick Saul out. God, through Samuel, anoints, anoints Saul and makes Saul king and makes Saul his king. Uh, Saul follows what God says for a bit, uh, but then he starts going his own way. Saul turns back from following God and God's instructions <clears throat> and results in Saul being rejected as God's king. While Saul still is in power, uh, God sends Samuel to anoint the next king. And Samuel anoints a young David. Uh, he's anointed as the next king, but his ascension is not immediate. It's a while before he becomes king. Uh, after God has kind of removed his hand from Saul, Saul uh, is overtaken by evil spirits at times. He has these spells where evil spirits bother him. So in an effort to try to contend with that, he looks for someone, or he has uh, mentioned to him from some of his servants 
about this young boy that can play the harp. This young boy is David. So David comes and plays the harp for Saul and at times helps him get relief from these evil spirits. Uh, Saul is grateful for that. Uh, David basically comes on full time, if you will, to do this on a regular basis. And he plays the harp for him. David becomes Saul's armor bearer. And David still maintains some of his duties as a shepherd for his family. You guys all know the story of David and Goliath. He accepts the challenge from Goliath in the name of his Lord. He kills the giant. And as you can imagine, this makes David a pretty famous person in the land. Even more famous than Saul for his, uh, his killing of the giant and eventually more battles on the battlefield. Through David's association with the king's household, he meets Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son, as we've mentioned. And him and Jonathan become great friends. Um, I don't know that I comprehend this level of friendship. It's uh, great friends and, as we'll see, extraordinary friends to the point of either one giving his life for the other, if necessary. Because of the jealousy of David being blessed by the Lord, both in battle and all that he's done, Saul eventually turns and sees David as a threat to his throne. Uh, and he attempts to have him killed on many occasions, but initially by exposing him in battle so that he will be just killed by what is considered just the ways of the world. Uh, but God continues to bless David, and he's not killed. As a reward for even greater accomplishments on the battlefield, and this almost makes you think Saul's schizophrenic, he takes David as his son-in-law by offering Michael as his wife. Uh, David marries her. David is protected from either, even another attempt by Saul to kill him when his wife warns him that her father is going to attempt to kill him. And David leaves and flees to where Samuel is. Y'all remember Samuel the prophet at the beginning of this. By the way, this is several chapters, by the way. I'm condensing it to a short amount of time. So David flees to where Samuel is at Ramah. And as you can tell... David's relationship with Saul is just off and on and off and on. And I don't mean off and on like we're friends and we're not. Off and on like you're helping me, now I think I'll kill you. Uh, a pretty uh, tough situation. And that brings us kind of where um, I want to start. Look in 1 Samuel 20. Our passage talks about a covenant. 1 Samuel 20 is where we learn about this covenant. Uh, David has returned from being with Samuel and he returns to Jonathan to kind of gauge where Saul is at, how Saul feels about him. So Jonathan and David have devised a plan so that David can know if Saul is still set on killing him. So Jonathan is going to communicate that to David and let him know whether it's safe or not for his return. Out of this conversation comes this passage in 1 Samuel 20. Looking at verse 8, this is David talking. It says, therefore, deal kindly with your servant. He's talking to Jonathan now. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father 
that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of the Israel, be witness. Those are strong words. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. If I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan sees it coming. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own. As he loved his own soul. You kind of look at the key elements in there. If you just center around the words, uh, the, the uh, phrases that have the Lord in it. In verse 8, David says, we are in a covenant of the Lord. Talking about the covenant that he and Jonathan are making. In verse 12, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. In verse 13, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. Uh, the, back, the back half of 13. And then may the Lord be with you. 14. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. That's going to be important in our passage. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Both of these guys see the weight of the covenant that they're making. It's not just two guys making an agreement. They're making an agreement before the Lord. And not only is there an element of where Jonathan is making a guarantee to David that he's going to look out for him, there's an element where Jonathan is asking David to care for him and his family short-term and long-term. That kind of brings us to 2 Samuel 9. Skip over there. Do we pick up here? Some time has passed. There's been a lot of time passed in the review that I started with. But some significant time has passed. Saul and Jonathan are both dead. They're gone. Uh, David is in power. He was in power for Judah. And now he has uh, won a great deal of battles. And he is in Israel, in Jerusalem. Uh, he is firmly planted as the king of Israel. And we're going to pick up there. But before we read our passage, I want you to get your mindset right. Um, a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we see it just as history. And that's what we're going to read here. We're going to read history. But we're also going to see a picture. So I want you to start keying in on that. What other picture might we be seeing here as we're looking at this passage as we walk through it? All right, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter, but it's not but 13 verses, so it's short. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake? Y'all remember the promise. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should, regard for, you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived at Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. In uh, verses 1 through 3, we see that David is out to fulfill his oath between him and Jonathan that he made before the Lord. Uh, Is there anyone left in the house of the Lord that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because of the covenant... I made with Jonathan, I want to show anyone that's left alive in his house the kindness. What kind of kindness? In verse 3, I want to show the kindness of God. Now, I'll think about that for just a minute. Now, think about what that is. If I said I was going to show you the kindness of the Lord, or if I was just going to be kind, y'all think about the difference there. And we see it later in the passage But David is making a big statement here. I'm not just wanting to recognize who Jonathan is. I want to show him the kindness of my God. He doesn't know where uh, Mephibosheth is. He doesn't even know that Mephibosheth exists. Uh, But he wants to show him the kindness of his God. Saul, Jonathan, and the whole family is dead. Anyone that might have known about this covenant is gone. Yet David wants to show the kindness of his God to anyone who's left of Jonathan's household. Think a minute about Mephibosheth's condition. It's not written here, but uh, it was very customary in the time when a new king took over that the first order of business was to annihilate the previous regime. This would prevent any opportunity for an uprising so that the old regime could take over for the new regime. So it's very likely that Mephibosheth is aware of his condition as a new king is in Israel, of his uh, 
unworthiness before David. Now I want you to remember about how Saul treated David. So not only was Mephibosheth on the outs because of his family, think about how he might have thought, David might have thought of him based on how his father treated him. He loved him one minute and attempted to kill him the next. Over and over and over again. Had him hunted down like a dog, really, at times. And uh, Jonathan, I mean, uh, Mephibosheth is keenly aware and we're going to see shortly how he, how he postures himself before such a king. Mephibosheth is also crippled. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but back in sec- 2 Samuel 4, we get a picture of how that happened. Uh, there was an opportunity where uh, uh, Jonathan and Saul and that reign was fleeing. And Mephibosheth was being carried by his nurse. His nurse falls and basically cripples. And we don't know exactly what happened, but hurt his feet to the point that he's crippled. So think about the care that he must receive, the condition that he's in. He's broken and he's unworthy. And yet David, the king of Israel, calls for him. Verses 4 and 5. He calls for him and brings him to him. You'll notice here that David initiates the call. Obviously, Mephibosheth is concerned, to say the least, that the king is calling for him. Y'all remember what could be in his mind, right? This could be it. But Mephibosheth complies. David made the covenant, and now David is keeping the covenant. He's initiating the covenant. I want to spend a minute talking about Mephibosheth's Response. Look at 6 through 8. Mephibosheth came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And he says, the first thing he says is, Behold your servant. You see this humility that Mephibosheth has before David. His apparent first words were, I am your servant. This humbleness goes beyond just respect for the king. He could have just bowed. But Mephibosheth says, I am your servant. He genuinely sees himself as a servant to David. David clearly saw he was scared to death. What's the first thing that David tells him? Do not fear. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded often of the many scriptures where angels or angelic beings or Christ himself or God appears to others. What's some of the first things that they say as people fall down? Do not fear. Right, remove your fear. I'm gonna, it's going to be okay. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. That's the same position that David took. Do not fear. Don't be scared. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. Uh, David, we've already discussed how David could be eliminating his family. Imagine the emotion in Mephibosheth as he goes from, this could be the end for me, to the king has said, I am going to show you the kindness because of your father. Mephibosheth reiterated his position uh, before David. 
uh, later when he talks about in verse 8, he says, What is your servant that you should show regard for me for a dead dog? In this time, a dead dog was not only um, taboo, it was something, it was the lowest of low. That's the way he saw himself. So David tells Mephibosheth, I'm going to restore the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And Mephibosheth's response is, why would you do this? I'm as lowly as low can be, and yet you're showing me this kindness. Remember, this is the kindness of the Lord from David's perspective. So he, he tells him he's going to restore the land. David is going to deliver him. He's told Mephibosheth what he's going to do. And David <clears throat> says, I'm going to restore the land of Saul, your father, and you will always eat at my table. And then in 9 through 13, he says, uh, I'm going to all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. He's talking to Ziba here. Y'all remember that Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a pretty large company of folks. Uh, commentaries tell us that Ziba was Saul's land steward. And that he had used his, uh, all of his servants and all of his family to tend to Saul's property. The estate belonging to Saul was quite substantial. You and your sons and your servants, all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. They're going to till the land for him. They're going to oversee his estate. All of Saul's family wealth has been restored. Along with Saul's servants to tend what has been restored. He's going to live in Jerusalem. He's going to eat at the king's table all the days of his life. And he's got all this wealth and prosperity. He's gone from being crippled, in hiding, having to be cared for, to being prominent, wealthy. And this is not a temporary honor. honor this is permanent. Just in a blink of an eye, this all has happened from Mephibosheth's standpoint. David's provided for his every need. And if you really think about it, if that was to happen to us today and we were to hit the lottery like that, even the wants beyond his every need. I told you when we got started that this passage would be historical. It's what we call a historical narrative. It tells a story. But it's also a picture. It's not only a story of the actual people, actual events that happened in time uh, or a particular point in history. It's also a picture or a type that's related. Even though we're going through history, God is speaking to us. As we walk through this passage, I'm sure some of the pictures, you guys are already on it, right? Some of the pictures jumped out at you. Uh, let's briefly look through these, uh, walk back through it and relate some of this historical stuff and see how it moves forward. Uh, 
there was a covenant made. Although David made the covenant with Jonathan and they were both involved, they made the covenant before the Lord. But in our passage, and at this point in time, there's only one covenant maker there. It's David. David makes the covenant. David fulfills the covenant. God made a covenant with us long before our father's fathers were around. Long before we were even thought of, before we were in the picture. God is our covenant maker. Mephibosheth was wonderfully blessed. Not because of anything he did, but because David's faithfulness to the covenant that he had made. David made the covenant. David kept the covenant. Believers in Christ are blessed. Not because of any work that we do, but because of God's faithfulness to us. His covenant. His faithfulness to the gospel. He fulfills the covenant. He makes the covenant. Covenant, he fulfills the covenant. Mephibosheth was lame. He was lame in his feet. And they were broken because of his fall. He was unworthy to be before the king based on who he was, based on who his family was, based on how his father treated the king. We're broken. Because of the fall of Adam, we are all have a sin nature. We are sinners in our core. We're unworthy to stand before God. I know David was a king and he was the most powerful man around at that time. And I can imagine how Mephibosheth felt as he stood before that king. But God is the creator. He created all that we know. He's created things that are yet to be known. He created us. He sustains all that he created. He keeps the world spinning. If he was to remove his hand, the world would literally come apart. God is perfectly holy. He's set apart. He's like no other being that there is. He's perfectly righteous. What he does is right. All that he does is right. He's perfectly just. He administers justice perfectly. I've outrun David already, right? Significantly. God is omnipresent. He's not bound by time, he's not bound by space. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He doesn't just know all the things of the smartest person in this room. He doesn't just know all the things of the smartest person on the planet. He doesn't just know all the things of the cumulative knowledge of all the people on the planet. He knows all things. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't do just by his word. He spoke the world into existence by his word. Mephibosheth stood before David. We will stand before 
that God. You thought Mephibosheth saw himself as a dead dog before King David. Imagine what it's going to be like. We are broken and we are unworthy, just like Mephibosheth. David initiated the call to bring Mephibosheth to him. He would not have done it on his own. David sent for him. David initiated the relationship. God initiates a relationship with us. God has sent Christ to this earth for us. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation is God's work. We have responsibility, but He initiates a relationship. Our response and attitude toward God. We saw Mephibosheth. David's response was, Fear not. When we recognize our standing before our God and we are scared and we are trembling because we know our condition before the Almighty, He tells us, fear not. Romans 8 tells us, because of Christ there is no, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. And David delivered Mephibosheth. He stood before the king as he was, unworthy, broken, scared. He had no claim upon David. He had absolutely no case to present. Yet David's throne was a throne of grace. David gave to Mephibosheth more than what would meet his needs. He gave him the inheritance of his grandfather. He gave him land. He gave him wealth. He gave him households. Contents, he gave him servants. When we refer, if, we refer, if we appear before God without Christ, woe is us. We'll have no claim to make. We will receive condemnation that we've earned, and we will stand unworthy and broken. But through Christ, God's throne is a throne of grace. Christ provides for our needs. He doesn't just provide for our physical needs. More importantly, he provides for our spiritual needs. Like Mephibosheth, we will be regarded as adopted sons. Spiritually, our daily needs are met. Our eternal needs are met. The picture that is painted here in history is not exact. Obviously, any picture, when you're comparing something on earth to something of heaven, will fall short. Mephibosheth was rescued from physical danger. His needs were met. Christ supplies much more than land, wealth, servants. We're not sons of an earthly king. We are the very children of God. I, um, as I sat this morning and listened to Bruce, uh, he taught with pretty short notice about prophecy. And I, my perspective in there was prophecy is really not impress, as impressive 
when you're looking back at it. You know, if I'm 300 years and the prophecy is fulfilled, you know, the prophecy that is when it's actually stated seems kind of impossible, but looking back, it's pretty easy. The same God that authors prophecy that is fulfilled in its entirety, completely, is the same author of history. This same God that prophesies is the same God that orchestrated history to show us a picture of salvation. You know, when David and Saul and Jonathan and Mephibosheth and Ziba were all going through this, they were just living their lives. And God was drawing a picture for you and for me. What a powerful God we serve. What a powerful God we are going to stand before and answer for. Save Christ. Do you know Him? Not do you know of Him. Not have you read about Him. Not are you educated about Him. Do you have a relationship with the Son of the God that you will stand before? If not, we'll be like those in Scripture. Woe is me. May we hear the words, fear not, instead. Let's pray.